Hey, good morning. We're doing the Sikha on Purim, Sikha Bez. It is from um, Chalik uh, Tess Zion, Sikha Bez on Purim. This is a Sikha that was given in Adapa Brangin in 1976. And um, I'm excited to share it with everybody. Okay, so let's start with Aleph. Somebody wrote unmuted, but that's not the case anymore, right? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, we hear you. Okay, thank you. Al hapasik kimu v'kiblu hayehudim amar chazal kimu mashakiblu kvar. So we have a famous pasuk that the Jews upheld um, that which they have already received. It was the fulfillment of something that they already received during the time of Purim. We say that the Jewish people accepted the Torah, they fulfilled, they completed the acceptance of the Torah, which they had already received at Har Sinai. So, what, so we're going to go through a deeper understanding of what that actually means. There was, so to speak, like an escape, escape clause or a strong alibi up until this point that the Jews could get out of having to keep the Torah, because at the time of Matan Torah, we know there's a medrash that they were coerced, so to speak, to accept the Torah. Hashem held the Har Sinai, the Mount Sinai over their heads, and they didn't really have a choice. So they always had this escape clause or this strong alibi to get out of their obligations keeping the Torah. However, at the time of Purim, this was nullified. This extra understanding that, that Jews accepted the Torah through coercion was nullified because in the time of, of Purim, they accepted the Torah willingly. Hadar kablu They returned and they accepted it willingly in the times of Ahasuerus. The word Hadar here means returned. Muvan Shemasha Kiblu, B'nai Israel, Be'oto Yamim, Purim, Esa Torah, Midaisam, Hu'inyan Ikari. So we know that the fact that the Jewish people accepted the Torah willingly through their own understanding, this is a very foundational point to the story of Purim. The Imken, Lichara, Enu Muvan, Lama Tiknu, Lasot, B'nai Purim, Eze Inyan, Lezecher, De Hadar Kiblu, B'mei Achashverus. So now the Rebbe asks a phenomenal question that um, is so obvious, which is what makes it so phenomenal, but it's also not necessarily the question that you've seen before. If it's true that this, that this willing acceptance of the Torah in the time of Purim is a foundational uh, aspect of our celebration of Purim, why don't we see this in any of the mitzvahs that we keep? You know, we have the four special mitzvahs of Purim. So why is that? Why don't we do anything to be reminiscent of the um, return and the full acceptance of the Torah during the time of Purim, during the time of Achashverosh. You might say that there was a little bit of coercion at the time because they were saved by a miracle. Um, 
the gift, the giving of the Torah is the single most important thing that ever happens to the Jewish people. And the fulfillment of this on Purim is just not marked at all. There should be some way to commemorate it at all. The change is that there's no longer an escape clause and the contract is void because we, I'm reading my notes and I want it to make sense. You might think that the contract of Hashem from Harsinai is void because there is this escape clause, so to speak, that we were coerced. But on Purim, there wasn't. But there's, and even if you're going to say, as the last paragraph of Aleph, that they were anyway compelled to accept the Torah at this point because of all the miracles, we still should have something that we, this was the shlemus and this was the completion of the acceptance of the Torah from their own understanding and their own knowledge. So now we're going to do chelik phase. Sorry, seif phase. The yesh lomar adaraba shehad davar bali dey bitui bekol hamitzvos hamiyuchedet shalpurim mik. Aleph, Mikra Megillah, Beis, Mishloach Manos, and Gimel, Matanas of Yemim. Okay, so now there's an answer to the question. You could say that actually we do see this. We do see this concept within the mitzvahs of Purim, in each mitzvah individually, the reading of the Megillah, the sending of Mishloach Manot, of gifts, one to the other, and Matanot of Yemim, gifts to the poor. These three things are only done on Purim and they're unique to the day. Um, and if you want to just take a quick look at footnote number five. You could say that this applies to the feast as well, but the feast is sometimes done on other holidays. So we're, we're bringing out those three mitzvahs that are only done on Purim. Mishloch Manot, gifts to the poor, and the reading of the Megillah. So these mitzvahs are done differently on Purim than they are done on other holidays. There are other things that we do on Purim that we actually also do on other holidays that aren't necessarily unique to the to Purim, which is reading of the Torah, saying Al-Hanisim in davening and Birkat HaMazon. And that's always um, something to be really careful about because you get one chance the whole year to put Al-Hanisim in your benching. So try, I always try to like really remember it. Um, one chance on Purim. And the uh, prohibition from having a eulogy and we don't fast on Purim and having a feast and having joy, these are things that we do on other holidays. Whereas those other three things that we said, which was the gifts to friends, Mishloch Manot, the gifts to the poor, and the reading of the Megillah are only done on Purah. <laughs> So first of all, let's make a distinction between something that a person does out of coercion and force and something that a person does willingly and with their own understanding and their own um, enthusiasm for it. When someone does something against their will and they're forced to do it, they do just exactly what they need to do in order to the bare minimum to just discharge the obligation. But on the other hand, Masha Inken, or as he likes to say, in contradistinction, um, 
When a person does it from his own will and his own desire, they don't just try to discharge the obligation, just um, push it, just try to basically check a box off on the to-do the to-do list, so to speak, but rather um, they do it in a way that is much more meaningful and, and they put more, more into it. So that's how we sort of see the difference between coercion versus free will and, and excitement and my own um, acceptance, my own personal acceptance of it. And that's what we're talking about here, the difference between the Torah that we were, so to speak, coerced to accept at Harsinai and the Torah that we accepted willingly here at the time of Purim. Sorry, skip the word. So this idea of the distinction between one does something out of free will instead of coercion is in the phrase that the kimu masha kibu that the Jews already upheld what they had already accepted. And we see it within these three mitzvahs. So now the Rebbe is gonna show us how we see this concept in the three mitzvahs. And um, a spoiler alert, my kid said I shouldn't say it this way, but I, I think it might help um, to, at least it helps me with learning a sicha. What the Rebbe is gonna tell us now, he's ultimately not gonna fully accept. This is like the, the first stage, and then we're gonna go and go a little bit deeper. Doesn't really reject this, but this is just the initial answer. The habir, the explanation is the last line on page one. Michad gisa on one hand, shloshet ha'inyanim halalu enam dvarim hadashim mamish. These three things are not brand new concepts in and of themselves. Megillah, matanot lav yonim gifts the poor, and mishloch manot gifts the friends. On the other hand, they each have a hosafa, an addition to what came before them. They were all already concepts that existed, and they're done in an additional way on Purim. Again, that's paralleling this idea of kimu ma shekiblu. They um, fulfilled, they completed the acceptance of that which they had already received. Okay, so let's go through it. The first one, inyan pa Eino chiddish. The idea of reading a Megillah isn't a chiddish, isn't a novelty in and of itself. Because before Purim, there was already plenty of holy books, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Kuvim. Um, as we know that the Megillah was actually the last book added to the Tanakh, and it's the last recorded mitzvah written down. Hanukkah is not in Tanakh. And it was, and it was added in by a special request from, from Esther and Mordechai. Um, and it's in a, a special category of miracles. It's written down as opposed to Hanukkah, which is mentioned in footnote eight, Masha Enken Nes Hanukkah. And it was added to the Tanakh, so it falls into the category of an enhancement of something that already existed. 
it's the last, it's the, it's the last number, so to speak. It's the final, it's the finale. It's the final uh, miracle written in Tanakh. Um, the concept of reading a miracle story on Yantav already existed, but on Purim, it's in a, done in this way of enhancement because not only was it added to Tanakh, but it's also read at night, which is totally unique. Yantav. Um, the last line, it's the only holiday where the Megillah is read twice and you have to hear it at night. Um, we were trying to advertise our perm programs, our perm events on Shabbos, and a girl at the table says, okay, no worry, I'm going to come to the one on Thursday. <laughs> and I was trying politely to explain you have to do both, but um, let's hope that God will, she'll be at the one on Thursday. <laughs> but it's a mitzvah to do it twice. There's no other holiday where you have to hear the, the Megillah at night and by day. So again, that's an enhancement of something that already exists. That's going that extra step. Mishloach manos, giving gifts to friends. Alpi hamivur besefer matanos halevi. According to the book Matanos Halevi, which was written by Shlomo Halevi Alkabetz from Spas, the same person that wrote the Lachadodi. So the Indian, the concept of the main point of Mishloch Manot is to promote friendship and fraternity amongst Jews. And this is a mitzvah every single day of the year. And it's all included into the general mitzvah of Avas Yisrael. As you all know, is a klal gadol Torah is a major point in Torah. Now, when it comes to the general mitzvah of Avas Yisrael that we keep throughout the year, there's no obligation to go out and look for someone to do Avas Yisrael too. But the novelty in this mitzvah of giving a, a, a package to a friend a person has to go out and try to find his friend. And he has to bring him Avas Yisrael, deliver him Avas Yisrael, so to speak, right away in the form of a nice package of, of foods and not through money. It has to be in a way that the person can um, right away, immediately benefit from what he's being given. So it's the basic mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, and then Mishloach Manot is an enhancement of that mitzvah of Avas Yisrael. Going back to the original point that the kimu masha kiblu, the receiving, that which they had already accepted is, is an, on Purim, is an enhancement of that which they already had. So now we're going to look at the next mitzvah, the one of giving gifts to the poor, and how that also falls into to the, to this um, paradigm or this modality of enhancing that which we already had. And um, that is on the second page, the second column, the second paragraph. Matanas la'ovionim, inyan ha tzedakah. Matanas la'ovionim, gifts to the poor, is something we already know about. It's called tzedakah. Afu mitzvah bekol hashana kula, which is a mitzvah every single day of the year. Yetron shenosa bepurim hu, but what's addition, there's something additional to this mitzvah on Purim, 
שלא די בכך שאם יפגוש אני יקים את מצווה פתוח תפתח ונתון תיתן, אלא חייב אדם לחפש ולמסו. So it's not enough that if you see a poor person on Purim, you should give to them, but rather it's incumbent upon me, upon all of us, to go out and search for somebody to give to. V'shnei anim dafka, and it has to be two people specifically. V'latet lahem ba'ofen shel matanas, and it has to be given in a way of gifts, of a gift. V'davar zeh mudgash gam b'lashon chazal kimu ma shekiblu kvar. And this is emphasized in the in our original pasuk, kimu ma shekiblu Far they upheld that which they had already received. Elu ani in yanim shekibu kvar shehayu mechuyovim vahem vekimu otam belav hachi. It's something that we do anyway. Aval the Purim nosef vahem inyan shel kimu nischadesh vahem kium bechizuk uvishne hakavim ben edam lachaveru vahem ben adam lamakom. That we're doing these mitzvahs are things that we do anyway. We anyway have avas yisrael. Anyway, gives tzedakah. Um, but they're but they're not being done out of obligation. Um, and in in two and in both aspects of um, in two ways. Sorry, we're expressing this idea that we're enhancing that which we already did in the way of between man and God, and the and the way of between man and man. This idea is seen. In the modality of my relationship to God, kiyum v'hosefa shel inyan kibatora kipshuta ktiva v'kriya hamigila v'ya degam hosefa b'shevach v'shira l'Hashem yoter v'shear yamim tovim ben adam l'makom. So we added to the Torah. Simply, we added a book to the Tanakh, and we read the Megillah. And in this way, we're enhancing our praise and our our singing to Hashem and our tefillahs. In a way that's more than other holidays, because we literally add it to Tanakh, and this shows an enhancement in the modality of my relationship to God, Ben Adam Lamakom. When it comes to man to man, Ben Adam Lachaveru. The next line: Vehosafa shel peula vehistadlus miyuchedet beinyan shel vehafta lareach kamocha vemitzvah sasadaka ayidei mishlochanot ish lareu umatanas lepionim Ben Adam Lachaveru. Um, by doing as we just already discussed. Mishloach Manot, giving gifts to our friends, which is an enhancement of the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, of loving a fellow Jew, and by giving gifts to the poor on Purim the way we do, which is an enhancement of the mitzvah of tzedakah, we're, um, we're showing this through the, um, through the modality of between man and man, bein adam lachavero, from one to the other. So at this point in the sicha, at the end of Bet, we're about to start Gimel, we just answered the initial question. We showed that we enhance pre-existing mitzvahs, and that demonstrates the uniqueness of doing mitzvahs willingly. It's sort of embedding the concept of Purim into each mitzvah. So the, this concept that the Rebbe started by saying, where do we see this in Purim? So we just got a simple, uh, not simple, we just got an initial answer that the Indian of Kimu uh, Mashikiblu, that they accepted that which they had already received, is implicit within all the three mitzvahs that we already, that we do keep, that we already know about. Um, now we're going to go to Gimel. Aval al-kach, yesh lahapashos. So we still have a question, because the Rebbe is not fully satisfied with the answer that we just got. Bimishloch manos, vematanot levyoni, matanu gam tamim acherim. If you look through the sources, there actually are other reasons. These are not the only reasons. There are other reasons given for mishloch manot, gifts of food to friends, and gifts to the poor. The Mishloch Manot, 
talking about Mishlochano. If you look in the Gemara, in the first chapter of Megillah, there um, we see that the concept of Mishloch Madot is that each person should have enough, should have food to eat for the Purim feast. As it says that Abai, the son of Avin, and Rava and, and Hanina, the son of Avin, they must have been brothers, they switch their meals at the feast, they switch plates. And in this way, they did Mishloch Manot. They, they gave gifts to one another by simply sitting at the table and just switching plates. Alma Datama Mishum Seudahi, meaning that according to this understanding, the true purpose of Mishloch Manot, of giving gifts to a friend, is so they should have what to eat at the Seuda, at the feast, which sort of doesn't seem to jive with what we just said, that it's actually an enhancement of Abbas Israel but it's rather to make sure that a person has what to eat at the feast. And the same applies to gifts to the poor. In this logic, it's also written in other in places that the real purpose of giving gifts to the poor on Purim is so that the poor person should have what to eat, should have money, excuse me, to be able to buy what to eat at the Purim feast. So according to this, the, the inner purpose of the mitzvahs, of those two mitzvahs of gifts to friends and gifts to the poor is actually in order to facilitate the Purim feast. And that's the reason to do these mitzvahs. Um, in parentheses, even though through doing this, you also are going to, you know, have the extra mitzvahs of Avas Yisrael and Tzedakah, but really it's about the Purim feast. So if this is true, if this is, if it's really all about the Purim feast, then where do we see within those mitzvahs this understanding that they accepted kimu mashakiblu, they they fulfilled that which they had already accepted. Make sense? So we had our first answer, which was that it's an enhancement, but now they're ever saying, but really there's other reasons for these mitzvahs. And according to these other reasons, it doesn't really fit with the idea that everything we're doing is an enhancement of that which we already had. Okay, Dalid. The Yuvam Behektem Das Harambam. Now we're gonna bring in the Rambam. We'll understand this with the words of the Rambam. And tells us that the Rambam is going to be saying um, that gifts to the poor isn't only related to Sadaka. Not that it's not related to Sadaka, but that's not the only purpose. And these are the words of the Rambam.
it is preferable that a person should enhance gifts to the poor and, and be, have a large amount of quantity and that that's what they should focus on as opposed to the feast and the, the Mishloch Manot, the gifts to friends, because there is no simcha that is greater than uplifting the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the convert. The one who uplifts the downcast in this way is considered to be like the Shechina, um, as they have uplifted the broken heart of the, of the downcast. So I know Rafi says not to editorialize the Rebbe's words, but I'm just gonna throw this in here and you'll forgive me. As I was learning this and reading this, it just conjured up very, very um, recent current events, everything that's happening in the Ukraine, as you see so many people that are being helped and being uplifted and, and that that is truly um, the greatest joy that a person can have. And when a person is involved in that, they are, as the Rambam says, Doma Lishkina. So just to review a drop, if we would say that according to the Rambam, the purpose of the mitzvah tzedakah, then we'd have to say that giving to the poor likens you to the shechina. Then he should have brought it up. Oh, sorry, I'm giving you a, a sorry. Okay. So the Rambam here is bringing up, uh, the Rebbe is now gonna um, be medayic, be specific about where the Rambam actually wrote this, that uplifting the poor, likened you to the Shechina, because he did not write it in the section that deals with Sadaka. He actually wrote it specifically in the section that deals with Purim. So, Im ladat harambam tochen ha-mitzvashel matanas levyonim be-Purim hu inyan ha-Tzedaka. So if, according to the Rambam, the um, purpose of the mitzvah of giving gifts to the poor in Purim is Sadaka, hare inyan zeh, matanas levyonim dome le-Shechina, as he says, that giving gifts to the poor likens you to the Shechina, the Shechina, which I did not define, um, the presence of God. Hu me'ula she'yishna be-mitzvah sa-Sadaka she'bechol yimos ha-Shana, so if the what the Rambam is really teaching us is a concept in sadaka, general sadaka, that we should always understand that when we help people, when we give gifts, when we uplift people. That we're being, uh, that we're, we're we're as close to God as we can come. We're we're likened to the Shechina, to the revelation of God. If he was teaching us about tzedakah, he should have written it in the section that he writes dealing with tzedakah. But why does he specifically write this concept that he's likening us to the the essence of God, to the revelation of God in the halachas of Megillah, specifically regarding Purim? Is that question clear? So therefore, the Rebbe is assuming that the Rambam does not think the prime reason for gifts to the poor on Purim is Sadaka. There must be something more going on, which there always is. The Ken Laida Gisa, Lama Lohis Kirkan, Behilchos Purim, Megillah, Asamailos Shabinitina Sadaka, Shehebi, Behilchos Matanas Anim, 
And there are other beautiful ideas about tzedakah that the Rambam could have brought in this area, in this section of Megillah. One is that through tzedakah, we will be redeemed. So why doesn't the Rambam discuss the many other advantages of tzedakah? Why just this one point that tzedakah likens us to the Shechina, to the revelation of Hashem? Like it likens us to God in a, in a certain way. So we're forced to say that according to the Rambam, so we're forced to say that giving gifts to the poor um, on Purim, it fulfills the myths of tzedakah in addition to something else. Um, rather, it's not only tzedakah, but it's to bring about joy. It's to bring about, um, a, it brings glad into the heart. As it says, there's no greater joy than uplifting the person who is poor. Uh, meaning that when we give the gifts to the poor, it's not just about helping the poor person, it's about bringing joy to ourselves. It's about the giver. And, and we do that because the joy is what we're, the simcha is what we're, we're trying to achieve here, in addition to the sadaka. And the brackets, umahi taima, muvan mash she klal harambam kan, the simcha shalmatanas levyanim, so why does the Rambam single out the widow and the orphan um, and the convert or the stranger? Because if they're poor people, it would have been enough just to say, Anim. if they're poor, they're poor. And if they're not needy, they have, someone happens to be a widow, but she's not needy, then they don't need tzedakah. So why does Rambam spell out those types of people? Why does he mention those categories of people when he's talking about gifts to the poor? He could have just said the poor. And if you know a widow is poor, so you know she's poor and doesn't need to be mentioned specifically. Okay, but according to what we just learned, that the real or major purpose of giving gifts to the poor and firm is to bring joy. There's a specific connection to these types of, of downcast people. When you, when you start to bring out who they are, a widow, an orphan, a person that doesn't have family, all of a sudden we get a, a picture of someone who's, who's lonely, so to speak, downcast. Not just that my bank account is low, but that like we're really, the Ramam's really filling the picture. We're talking about people that need that need your, your friendship, your warmth, they need your, your involvement in their life. By bringing them out, we understand that it's not just about filling someone's bank account. These are people that are needy. Again, even if it's not the financial need, the ultimate purpose is to bring joy. However, the Rambam still, according to the Rambam, we're connecting these three mitzvahs to the to the Purim meal. 
והן מתנס לאביונים, עניינים ותכונם הוא שמחה ולא עניין אחר. So if we, we, we already connected, we said that Mishloch Menot, if you're sitting at the Purim feast, you just swap plates, it's good enough. And Matanot Yunim is supposed to be gifts to the poor is money for the, for the feast. But now we said that it's actually about joy. All three are sim- bring about simcha, but big giving to the poor is the greatest simcha, so that's why you would increase in that one the most. So we know that the point of the Purim feast is, is to have joy, is to have simcha. So where's the source for the Rambam, um, and gifts the poor, that that's really all about simcha and not necessarily about other things? or that is primarily about simcha. Um, and then in the brackets, ve'od sarich la'vin mahi ve'emes shaychaz inyan zeh, she'hamesamech lev ha'amulim ha'elu doma l'shrina. We also want to understand what's the connection to this pasuk that we brought, that one, that someone who enlivens the heart, who lifts up the heart of the downcast is likened to the shrina, the revelation of Hashem, is likened to God. <laughs> This is brought specifically with regard to the mitzvah of giving gifts to the poor on Purim, not just general tzedakah. You could say this any day of the week that you give tzedakah. Why on Purim? Why does the Rambam say that you're like the Shrina? And what does this have to do with Purim? This could be applied to giving to any giving as seen by the Pasuk that the Rambam brings from Yeshaya. When the Rambam talks about Tzedakah in general, he doesn't mention the Shrina, even though he brings the same Pasuk. He brings the same Pasuk in, from Yeshaya in another area when he's talking about tzedakah and he doesn't over there mention the shechina. So obviously this, this idea of being resembling to the shechina, resembling to, the, um, to a revelation of Hashem is something that's directly connected to Purim. So we're in Se'if Hay. Benogaya lemishloach manot, talking about mishloach manot, gifts to friends. Yesh lo marsha ledasa rambam tamu hu, you could say that according to the Rambam, the purpose is that it's uh, incumbent upon a person to worry that another person has food to eat for the Purim feast. And it's part of my obligation for my feast is to make sure that you have food for your feast. So in order for me to really do the Misa of the Purim feast, I have to give out Mishloch Manot to make sure the other people can keep that mitzvah. As the Rambam writes, how do you how do you fulfill the obligation of the Purim feast? Purim 
who inyan mishtav and mishta. In the same halacha of how to fulfill the mitzvah of Sudas Purim, the Rambam writes that a person is obligated to give Mishloch Manot, which seems that Mishloch Manot is intrinsically connected to the Sa'uda. Um, and if we look at footnote 32, we, it just, the Rebbe is saying that Chiluk halachos the Rambam bediuk behu ki velamdim mimenu that the separation and the uh, division of the sections of the laws in the Rambam is intentional and we can learn from it. It's not just arbitrary that this is brought here and this is brought there, but everything is brought intentionally and in a, in a way that we can learn from. And say the same thing about Matanas Levyonim. That it's directly connected to the Purim feast, the Sudasa Purim Shalom, and, and to my Purim feast, that I should give gifts to the other people, gifts to the poor, is directly connected to me, to me upholding my obligation to the Purim feast. As the Rambam writes above, Kamosha Kadava Rambam Ayel, the Inyan Hasim Chabiyamtav, he writes about Yamtav, general Yamtav, the Kashu Ochel, the Shoteh Chayev, Lachil, the Ger, the Atom, the La Almana, Im Shar Hanim Hameulim. That the Rambam writes strong words about a different yant, about yantif in general, not specifically about Purim, that a person is obligated to feed and to make sure that the needy people in his community, the um, the widow, the orphan, the, the convert, and anyone else that's downtrodden has food to eat. And if a person locks the gate of their courtyard, meaning he doesn't open his home, and he eats and he drinks with his family, it, to his heart's delight, this is not a simcha of a mitzvah, but rather a simcha of the stomach. <laughs> I think we know, can all understand how a person can easily fall down that rabbit hole. You get so excited about little desserts and this and that and all the different appetizers and all the different courses that is none of us, not, no one here, but it's possible you could understand that a person could lose track of it being a mitzvah and, and just feel like it's a foodie convention, but that would never happen. But just, you could understand that in potential that could possibly, <laughs> which is why it's incumbent to, to have an open home and to invite people and that this is not just a celebration of your stomach. Ayan Sham, it says that about Yantif, this is not written in the section of Purim. It's written in the section of Yantiv. Ulam be'emes, kasha lefaresh ken kan, benoge lematanot lavyanim, sharei hifrid harambam es di matanot lavyanim, bekatvu bahalacha bepnei atzma, bechayev lechalek la'anim biyom ha-Purim bechulo. Dolo kedai mishloch manot, shakata behemshet oto halacha sheba nikhtava bemitzvah sasa'uda. We can interpret here as above because the Rambam separated the laws of gifts to the poor and put it in his own halacha. Whereas with Mishloach Manot, he put it in the same halacha as the Su'uda. That the gifts to the poor seems to have its own concept. It's not about giving the gift to the poor the way I would open my home and invite you to my, to my feast. It's, it, it's its own thing. It seems to have its own, it's not in the same, um, it's not connected halachically the way that the Mishloach Manot seems to be connected to the meal, to the feast. 
The Rambam does not mention this idea whatsoever about locking the gate and making a simcha of your stomach when it um, um, only eating your own meal. With regard to Matanasa, he does not mention um, he only mentions it on Yantif about that it's it's a mitzvah to make sure other people have. He does not mention it at all when talking about Purim. The Mizam move on to Zehu Inyan Vipne Atzmel. She'eno Shayach Lefiu of Seudasa, Lemishto Vesimcha Shalav. So this, the Rebbe is telling us, means that gifts to the poor is its own thing and it's not connected to the Seuda. It doesn't mean, obviously, that we're meant to have a Seuda, that we lock the gate to our house and don't let anyone in but that the gifts of the poor is its own concept. It's not a direct connection to the feast that we're having. Whereas on Yantif, part of your simcha, of, of your Yantif meal is having guests and opening your home. Yitayra Mizo, even more so. Lefi hanal nimsa mishloch manos v'matanos avyonim enam inyanim v'pnei atzam v'purim elahem chelek v'prat mechliyot hasuudah shalo. Um, if we would have said that Mishloch uh, Manos and Gifts the Poor are not their own thing, that they're connected, they're, they're an aspect of the Suda, then we would have to say that a person who doesn't give Mishloch Manot properly or doesn't give it at all and doesn't give gifts to the poor, then he hasn't or she hasn't fulfilled her obligation of the Purim feast. But we don't say that, right? If we said that, they, that they're just like they're sort of outgrowths, they're the best way to do the Purim feast, then we'd have to say, if you don't do them, then, you're, then you haven't done the Purim feast mitzvah. But that isn't the way we, we say it. They're each four independent mitzvahs. Um, and what's the proof of that? It's written in many places, the opposite, that they are three separate mitzvahs. As the Rambam himself says, that if you're going to choose one of the three, or, or that you should choose one of the three to be abundant in, to really increase in, and that would be gifts to the poor. Why? Because there's no greater simcha than the uplifting of, the, of, the, of a poor person, uplifting the heart of, a down, of someone who's downtrodden. However, without this, without, you still actually have done the mitzvahs of Purim. The inyan has simcha beklalan, ela she'enzo simcha gdola mifuera, the simcha shel matanas levyonim. So you have definitely had joy and you've definitely increased in your joy, but you haven't done it in the greatest way possible, which is the simcha of giving gifts to the poor. Um, I just want to tangent here for like one second. Again, sorry to throw in my own thought, but um, I think Mrs. Darren's on the class. I know that she always says happiness is a choice. And I think that sometimes simcha can be like hard for people, um, especially on Purim when it's like, you know, forced upon you, so to speak, like it's the, uh, it's the midst of the day to be misameh, and it's not always so easy for us to control our emotions. But we have here that the Rebbe is telling us in the words of the Rambam, this is how you get simcha. 
It's, it's, there's actual like a formula here, give gifts to the poor, and this will bring about the greatest amount of joy, help those who are needy, help those who are downtrodden. So I just, that really stuck out to me that sometimes we're, it's like this elusive thing of trying to control our, our emotions and trying to be happy. And here we have a straightforward path to follow, which I thought was something I wanted to point out. <laughs> okay, so Saif Bub. Giving, going back to the source in the Megillah, Lashon HaMegillah, Shemimenu Nilmad Shlosh Mitzvos. We learn these three mitzvahs from the Megillah. Mishtes Suuda, Mishloach Manot, Ishlareehu, Vimatana Le'avionim. That they're listed as three separate mitzvahs in the Megillah. Have a feast, give gifts to your friends, and give gifts to the poor. Hula Asodotam Yemei Mishta in order to make um, the, the day, a day of feasting, a day of feasting of, and, and joy, as it says in the Megillah, make it a day of feasting, a day of giving gifts to friends, and a day of giving gifts to the poor. That since it says, you may make it a day of mashma. It's understood that the chiyuv of the, the joy of Purim, it's not an action that you do and you check it off the list, but rather it's the framework of the entire day. Elizehu geder. It's the framework of the entire day. Zo You might think that the mitzvah of simcha is its own mitzvah, and falls out on Purim. So when do you do the Simcha? When can you check it off the list? But on Purim, for example, like the mitzvah of matzah, you do on Pesach. Um, but, but that's actually not what it is. Rather, it's the framework of the entire day. It defines the essence of the day. And stemming from Simcha come the other mitzvahs. They're a result of the Simcha. So from this we see that the obligation um, on the day of Purim, the giving gifts to friends, the Mishloch Manot, and gifts to the poor is a result of that it's an entire day of feasting and joy. That's, that's the framework of the day. And this is novel, this is unique to Purim, that the entire, the essence of the day, the framework of the day, the whole thrust of the day is a day of simcha and feast. Okay, so now let's get back. Remember this whole sikha, our starting point was what's the connection to kimu, masha, kibu? They fulfilled that which they had already accepted. So now we're gonna, we already answered that everything was an enhancement. The Rebbe didn't take that answer fully. So now we're going to answer it from the perspective of Simcha. This is the connection to the concept of they fulfilled that which they had accepted. That it is a day and a complete and total day of feasting and Simcha. This comes for us to understand that they returned and they, and they accepted um, in the time of Achashverosh. This is a complete opposite of coercion. 
when they accepted the Torah through their 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 will and through their um, and through their personal understanding. So just to recap a drop, based on the Pasuk in the actual Megillah, we realize it's a day of Simcha, and the other mitzvahs are an outgrowth of the essence of the day, being Simcha, of, of the essence of the day, which is Simcha, and that doesn't exist by any other Yantif. So this is the final answer to the initial question. We're, we're not done yet, though. Um, this is an expression of, that they re-accepted, which they had already accepted. Now they demonstrate that we have accepted the Torah willingly because we did it with joy. When you do something willingly, you do it happily and you do it with joy. The Chiddush is that on Purim, we are doing something to demonstrate the acceptance willingly. And what is that thing that we're doing? It's that Simcha is permeating the entire day. So our Simcha is the action um, throughout the entire day that signifies there are our starting question, how do we show that we're accepting on uh, Kibu Masha Kibu, that we're accepting that which we, we're fulfilling, we're completing the acceptance, that which we've already received. Um, now we're gonna go to Zion, but just to, just to point out, just kind of lead into the direction that the Sikh is going, the Rebbe said here that we accepted the Torah from our das and from our will, from our intellect and from our will. So Zion, the Yesh Lomar, She'inyan Kimu Masha Kibu Kvar, you could say the concept of upholding that which we previously accepted came through the special aspect of Simcha, which is unique to Purim. And let's keep going. So with regards to the mitzvah of the feast on Purim, the Rambam writes, how do we do that? How do we do the feast? The Rambam explains. With regard to the mitzvah of the Suda, the Rambam asks us, what's the obligation? How do we do it? To eat meat and to prepare a fine meal according to what one can afford and to drink wine until one is inebriated and to fall asleep from inebriation, from drunkenness. So what's the source of the Rambam statement? It's the statement of Rava that one should drink so much until they cannot decipher the difference between the cursed Haman and the blessed Mordechai. Um, we all know that. Now the obvious question. But hello, being drunk is not exactly um, a characteristic that's usually looked highly upon. It's, it's not a positive thing. And like we're saying here that a complete and total drunkenness is the ultimate way of, of having the simcha in, in the feast of Purim. So we need to just understand a little bit what's going on here. As written by other Mepharshim and the Rambam himself and other places with regard to the other Yom Tavim says that, that drinking too much and drunkenness is, is nothing holy, rather it's just excessive indulgence. The imken eich yitachen shechovas suuda zo 
So if in general, drinking too much is looked down upon, how could it be the method of fulfilling the mitzvah of the suda? So first we have to understand what does it actually mean to accept the Torah? So according to above, what we've spoken about, that the, that the idea of Purim is kimu mash, kimu mash that we are accepting that, we are fulfilling the acceptance of that which we've already received the complete and total acceptance of the Torah, being that the Torah is the revelation of the will and the, the Chachma, you could translate as intelligence. I feel like when we're talking about the, the intelligence of Hashem, the word intelligence is not really the best word, but the will and the divine wisdom of God, which is a hidden treasure. Um, it's not something that me or any of us as a, as a creation is able to really accept because we are limited in our understanding and our existence by the very nature that we are who we are. We are a human and we can't fully understand the divine wisdom of Hashem. So it's not something that we can totally accept with our brains, with our intellect. As we know, that when the Jews were given the Torah the first time at Har Sinai, they died and came back to life. Their, their, their soul left their bodies and they had to be brought back to life because a human coming face to face with the divine, divine wisdom, with the hidden treasure of the Torah can't withhold it. It's like, it's like the light of the sun. You can't, I mean, even here on earth, when we're the zillions of miles away from the sun, we can't look directly at it. But imagine being on the sun. You just you can't you can't exist. You can't exist in the in the um, illumination of the divine wisdom if if we're trying to accept the Torah through our intellect. So even more so in the time of a of a in the time of Purim. Um, in the time of Purim, the Jews had to nullify, they had to go, they had to leave behind their thought, their reason, their understanding, and a complete separation of from physicality. Um, as it, you know, as we say, as we know from Tanya, that a Jew will never um, go against Hashem. And we'll never do a sin, but somehow we sometimes think that we see that maybe happening sometimes. Um, so what does that actually mean? That when, but when the, the serious nefesh, when the essence of the Jew comes to the surface, that's when they will never, ever, ever, um, they will never leave the, the will of Hashem. And that's where the Jews got to in the time of Purim, because they were living in a time of total self-sacrifice. And they were able to... Um, without alcohol, but just able to, through the circumstances of what was happening, uplift themselves on such a high level through their complete and total self-sacrifice. 
um, sometimes when I teach this in Tanya, if I've ever taught the curriculum from J. Sub Soul Maps, there's a story that always comes to mind. And again, I hope I'm not doing a bad job editorializing here, but there's a famous story of a reporter. His name was Daniel Pearl in the 90s that um, maybe it was actually the early 2000s that was not leading what you would call on paper a religious lifestyle. And he was um, captured and he was put at gunpoint and he was ultimately actually in the Middle East, he was actually killed. But before he was executed, he, he screamed out, I am a Jew and my father is a Jew. And um, this became like a really, I thought a really significant story at the time that it really showed that what we already knew from Tanya, that when a person, when everything else is pushed aside, when there's nothing else, when it's a mere um, level of survival, this is when this level comes out of a person, a complete and total acceptance. And um, that's what happened to the Jewish people in the time of Purim. And that's how they were able to accept the Torah. And uh, as it also says, um, as it says in the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch of the of the Altar Rebbe, of the first Chabad Rebbe, with regarding to the prayer of the initial Hasidim, as maybe you've, you've learned about or heard about, they would do tumble sauces and they would do flips and they would do all sorts of um, bodily movements during the time of prayer. They, they literally prayed as if they had the divine shechina, the essence of Hashem, the emanation of Hashem, like right next to them. And they would pray in a way as if they were completely and totally disconnected from the physical. And um, they would leave behind their intellect and their thought and their reasoning up until till the point where they were at the level of prophecy. And as we know, also the prophets, so we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to, um, in some capacity, come face to face of God. But as the Tanakh continues, the prophets would often strip away their clothing and they would have all sorts of physical reactions when they were receiving prophecy because it was something that they had to separate themselves um, from the physical. So in the time of Purim, they got to this exalted level through their self-sacrifice throughout that year. So we're in Se'ib Tet. Ba'al pizeh, muvan hatan she inyanim ha'ikari shel yemei ha'purim, itsumo shel yom, hu hayosem yemei mishta v'simcha, v'simcha sa'uda v'open sh'ashot ha'yayim ad sh'yishtacher v'yaradam v'sichroso. So we now can understand, according to this, the real reason on Purim the essence that, that it's a day of drinking and feasting and to the point that a person gets drunk to the point where they would fall asleep. Falling asleep, being, a, um, a, being outside of our thought and our reason. As we know, they returned, they did tshuva in the times of Ahasuerus and they accepted that, that which they had already received. Because in order to receive the Torah, a person has to nullify, has to put aside their thought, their reasoning, their all their, their contrary thinking. Um, they wanting, I just want to know why. Can you just explain it to me? 
all of these um, concepts that we have when we sort of try to approach the world through our intellect, but to put that aside. As we see with, as the Rambam writes with regard to the prophets, a prophet, just to translate the Rambam's word, a prophet sees his prophecy only in a dream at night or during the day after he falls into a deep sleep. During prophecy, his limbs tremble, his physical energy is diminished, and he loses control of his senses. Thus, his mind is free to comprehend what he sees. So that's not a level that most of us can just like hop into um, on our own. So this is why a person should be in the inebriated to the point that they fall asleep, to kind of resemble the prophets. His senses are canceled, like when a person is sleeping, when a person has is drunk, their sensibilities and there's a more there's a certain purity that that. Um, it's not really purity, that was my own word, but their, their senses are canceled, which resembles that which, which the prophets had when they would receive a prophecy. Se'it Yud, Umahi Tama Ketav HaRambam Mutav La'adam Laharbot B'Matanas Lavyonim Milaharbot B'Seudaso B'Dishloch Manas Okay, so don't worry, we didn't completely get off track. So why does the Rambam say that of all these three mitzvahs, you should accentuate the gifts of the poor as opposed to the Mishloch Manot, the gifts to friends and the feast? So why is that one the most important one? Apopisha, not that it's the most important one, sorry, that it's the one that should, the most energy if you're, should be given towards that one. Apopisha inyan shokol shlosh mitzvahs hu simcha. If the whole you know, starting point of all th- of these three mitzvahs, the whole framework of these three mitzvahs is joy. Okay, well, the Rambam already told us the greatest joy that one can achieve is the joy of uplifting the heart of somebody who is down, a poor person or an orphan. Lo yada hamit bate eskium kabal satora shel kadosh baruch hu kasher hu marbe b'matanas levyonim b'marav bazesh inlan ismeach lev aniim ba'or boat simcha yoter mesuda v'simcha prati shalo or filu measuda shel reeu anashim kerechim. So when a person has this true uh, joy. Um, and he gets the level of, he doesn't know the difference between Mordechai and Haman. And he's at, and he's on such a level that he's beyond his intellect, he's beyond his thought, he's beyond, you know, his own understanding of the world. Now he's on the level to accept the Torah of Hashem. How does this happen? When he accentuates, when he overindulges in the mitzvah of giving gifts to the poor, as it says, to get, there's no greater simcha in the world. Um, it's the greatest simcha. It's greater than the feast, and then his personal feast, or even um, the feast of another. 
when giving gifts to the poor. So just to um, re recap that, the simcha um, and true authentic joy of accepting the Torah is seen or expressed when one indulges in gifts to the poor. This is not, this does not apply. This is not something that we discussed with regard to Yantif. But rather the, the obligation of Simcha on the Yantif is the mitzvah of you should be joyous in the holidays. But there's no concept on the other, on the other Yomim Tovim that you should get to the level of of not knowing the difference of um, good and bad, of escaping your own um, thought and reason, your own intellect, the trappings of your own mind, so to speak. So until a person is drunk, until a person leaves their, their reality, the can move on Rabbam. On the contrary, as we know from the Rabbam, Kinal, as mentioned above, if there's nobody poor, thank God, or nobody you know bitter-hearted in your surroundings, then your simcha is complete without helping them. If there's nobody to help. Um, the Simcha Yamtav has a limit. It's limited. If there's no one to help, there's no one to help. It's only that a problem if you lock the door of your court, courtyard. You, you don't invite people in. You leave people out from your Simcha. If you do something proactive to diminish the joy of the simcha for another person, that's when it becomes a problem. But if there's nobody to help, so that's when we say that it's not a simcha of yantav, it's a simcha of your stomach. So this is the, the advantage, this is the extra novelty, the extra piece on the holiday of Purim, that the simcha of a, of a Jew um, has to be till, till you're escaped, your logic, your reason, your intellect, your understanding. It has to be above, it has to be without bounds, has to be a tremendous simcha. And this is aroused and this is seen when you help a poor person or somebody who's downtrodden. Um, and as the Rambam says, you have to be completely and totally um, engaged in this up into the point that you um, leave your, your, that there's drunkenness. And this is how they, they how they received the Torah in the times of Purim, that they reached this, in this very, very high level. Um, and as the Rambam says, even more so, if you act in this way, if you uplift the, the heart of the downtrodden, you're likened to the Shrina, to the, to the revelation of Hashem, of God. Okay, 
okay? As we know that when you help another person who's downtrodden, you bring out this very high level of joy. Um, because this feeling of prioritizing another person above yourself is not human. That's like an amazing point. That's what this was, I don't know. I'm sorry, editorializing, I didn't mean to do that. Um, but this idea that you're helping, that you're prioritizing another person's needs above your own is breaking the bounds of human nature. And that's something that's being in this sense likened to um, Adaloyada, going out of your bounds. By prioritizing another person's joys, it's not natural for a human in and of itself. When you see that the joy of another person is greater than your own, and especially an ani, someone who's less than you, who's, who you could look down upon if you need, if you wanted to, this only exists, this, this ability to live in this way of prioritizing another person above yourself only exists in etzel hashchina by God, by the shchina, by the divine um, essence of Hashem. The necessity to value the joy of another, specifically a pauper, over their own exists only by the shchina. So how can a Jew? How can we do this if this only exists by God? Because through giving tzedakah to the poor, you are likened to God. You are likened to the Shrina. And therefore, you're able to go out of the limits of human nature, go out of the confines of, of what comes natural to me as a human, which is to make sure that I have what I need. And when I have enough of my stuff, then I'll make sure that other people have what they need. That is not a human that is, that is the human way of looking at it. But as, as the Rambam brought out, as we said, he only brought it out by Purim, that this likens you to the Shechina. Um, that, that's the true joy of giving to another person is that you're able to go out of the confines, you're able to go above the confines of human nature. And then the last few lines, and through acting in this capacity, this is how you uphold the, the framework of the day, that it's a day of feasting and simcha, b'shlemus in a complete way. To this mode of observance, one upholds the concept of a day of feasting and joy to its fullest, because this mode reveals in the most complete way in one's actions the ultimate advantage of the acceptance of the Torah, in the days of Achashverosh, which is that they upheld that which they had already accepted. L'chaim, and thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much. It was really, I just have a one. You had a question? Not a question, just it's interesting that when you give to that during the year, if I'm not mistaken, is not letting the person know that you've given tzedakah. Is that correct? 
like you give it an during the year and and this day it's like the complete it's like upside down like forum that's beautiful. yeah i didn't think about that but that's um definitely true it is different it's like it's off it's the opposite the person i'm guessing anyway thank you it was really good thank you thank you, thank you so, so much thank you so thank much you, Tiffa. that was great very interesting